Acts 2, 42 to 44. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and a breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles and all that believed were together and had all things common. And we just trust the Lord to bless his word to our hearts this morning. Last week we looked at how the power of the Holy Ghost changed lives. And you know, we try to change lives as God's people here on earth. But you know the truth and the reality is it's God that changes lives. It's God that convicts people. It's God that brings people to church. We can invite them and don't stop inviting them. But you know, it's God that brings people to the house of the Lord. Men and women are convicted by the Holy Ghost. And when they are convicted by the Holy Ghost, they want their lives to change. I didn't know at the time when I was first saved, I was under conviction. And it was God speaking to me. We just wanted... Well, I said, talk to Jean about it, and we wanted to go to church. So that was God bringing us to church. No one had invited us, and no one had asked us to come along. But it was the conviction of God, and because it was the conviction of God, because we gave our hearts to the Lord, then no one needed to say to me, you need to change this, or you need to change that. I changed because I had the convicting power of God working through me. And you know, Paul demonstrated this when he said, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of the power. In demonstration of the Spirit and of the power. And what Paul was saying, it wasn't his preaching that was convicting people. And reading the epistles, he definitely was a, a, a one-off preacher as such. But he's telling people, it's not my preaching, it's not my words, it's not my wisdom. Paul was a wise man, an academic who knew the law. He says that wasn't changing men's lives. It was a demonstration of the spirit and of the power of God. And you know, in the New Testament church, there was an immediate recognition that without the power of the Holy Ghost, their efforts were meaningless. If they hadn't have been filled with the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost and Peter had have gone out and stood in the steps of Jerusalem, he would have been arrested, he would have been stoned and they would have been chased. But because the Holy Ghost was upon him and because the Holy Ghost was moving with signs and wonders after his preaching, men began to change. And for me, the sad thing today, there's, there's a belief and we're talking worldwide now, I'm not talking about a particular church. There's a belief worldwide that men don't need the move of the Holy Ghost. They don't need the move of the Holy Ghost. They use great gimmicks today. They pay great singers, great musicians. They bring in the top engineers in sound and lighting. They get great inspirational speakers. But you know something? There's no signs and wonders following because they think they know better than God. Their churches may be filled, but they're attracted by the wrong thing. They're attracted by the singer. They're attracted by the speaker. And most speakers, with respect that I've seen on the internet, they're performers' church. When you're preaching, you need to be yourself and not a performer. 
And church, I can walk up and down the platform and run from one end to the other and God told me, yeah. That's not me, church. That's performing. But when someone speaks from their heart the word of God, then the Holy Ghost moves. And that's what we need. Some claim that the Lord told them to do this or that. Well, my question to them, well, why did Jesus tell the disciples in the New Testament church to wait on the power of God and then tell this generation you don't need it? We need the move of God today. And you know something? We need to bear something in mind here. I've heard people preach this. This blessing does not come automatically. The minute you become a Christian, nowhere in the word of God does it say you immediately get filled with the Holy Ghost. The hands of the apostles were laid on you and you were filled with the Holy Ghost. There were exceptions to the rule. I have no doubt God does that. But the general rule was it didn't come automatically. The miracles that Jesus did and even greater come with a price. And we've seen these being carried out in the New Testament. For example, a father had brought uh, onto Jesus' disciples his son and they could not help this boy or cast out the demons that possessed this boy. So the man brought the boy to Jesus and Jesus cast out the demon and the boy was healed. And the disciples privately when they were with Jesus, they obviously had been talking about this and uh, they'd said, well, we've cast out demons, we've seen people healed uh, who were sick. And now they ask, why could we not help this boy? And Jesus' answer we find in uh, Mark 9. And when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, this kind come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. By prayer and fasting. And I would suggest that that put a seed a hunger in the hearts of the disciples, having seen Jesus' authority over the demons, having seen the boy being healed. They wanted to do this. And this seed that was planted was a desire to humble themselves before God in prayer and in fasting. A total humility before God. The church had to come humbling before the Lord. They had to show the Lord their total need of him and his blessings and his wisdom and his power. And like the New Testament church, the church today needs to spend more time with the Lord, both collectively and even more importantly, personally. The church needs to do this. No demons were cast out in the name of Paul or Peter. Philip did wonderful things, but no demon fled when he heard the name of Philip. But when he heard the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, they had no choice but to leave. And throughout the Bible, we can see, maybe go back into the Old Testament, great men and women of God. What were they noted for? Yes, they're great deeds that they accomplished or the great blessings that God poured upon them in their lives. But these great blessings came. These great deeds that they did came because they were men and women of prayer. Men and women who had a close relationship with the Lord. Just speaking about Jonah this morning in the home. 
And Jonah must have had some sort of a relationship with the Lord for the Lord to speak directly to Jonah because a prophet wasn't sent to Jonah. God spoke directly to him. But Jonah, uh, and we're not going into this too much, but he must have been out of touch for a while because he didn't want to fulfill what God was calling him to do. But throughout the New Testament, as I've said, men and, and women were men and women of prayer. Genesis 24, 63, we read about Isaac. Isaac went out to meditate in the field at eventide. He went out on his own, somewhere away from everyone where he could spend time with the Lord. We know that David prayed three times daily and meditated even in his bed at night. Psalm 55, 17, evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. 63 verse six, when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. Church, if you can't sleep, don't turn the TV on. Don't play games on your computer. Pray to the Lord. Take time with the Lord. Daniel's custom, although it put his life in danger, he refused to change it. And Daniel knew that the writing was signed. He went to his house, his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He knelt upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did a four times. So even though he was warned not to pray, he prayed because he knew the necessity of prayer. And you know something, if we don't realize the necessity of prayer, we will grow cold. We will weaken. And we all, each and every one of us, not just those in ministry, each and every one of us need to pray. We need to seek the face of the Lord. Jesus himself, he encouraged private devotions. He himself sought solitary places in the morning and late at night. Matthew 135, sorry, Mark 135. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, Jesus went out and departed onto a solitary place and there prayed. Again, he brought this counsel unto his disciples in Matthew 6 and 6. When thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which saith in secret shall reward thee openly. The importance of spending time alone with the Lord cannot be stressed enough. Because it's when you're with God, and you know he knows the very innermost thoughts of your heart, when you pray collectively in church or with a group of people, you're not going to open up and tell everyone the secrets of your heart. But when you're on your own with God, you can talk as friend with friend. You can say, you know, people think, it's, uh, someone once told me it's blasphemy to, to let the Lord know you're angry. No, it's not. Read the Psalms. At times, David was angry with the Lord. But that anger was quenched when he spent time with the Lord. And God opened his eyes to see God's hand upon him. You see, we can faithfully attend public worship and we should with God's people. But we've all got to ask ourselves, do I, not we, do I also take time to engage in daily private prayer? It's essential, church, for each and every one of us. It's essential that we spend time with God. And so we ask, therefore, why do we need this secret place? We need it to draw nigh to God 
David told his son Solomon in 1 Chronicles 28 and 9, if you seek him, he will be found of thee. You see, he didn't say to Solomon, Solomon, it's okay, don't worry about it. God will come and God will bless you and God, as God will. But he stressed to his son, you need to seek him. Despite your role in life, your position in life, men will serve you. Men will come and do what you want them to do. Men will humble themselves before you, Solomon, but you need to humble yourself before God and spend time alone with him. Azariah, speaking to Kenasa in 2 Chronicles 15, verse two. He said, the Lord is with you while you be with him. And if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. In other words, King Asa, you're not spending time with the Lord. You need to spend time with the Lord. The Lord is with you. But he's with you when you are with him. Again, you're the king of God's people, privileged position. But an even greater onus on you to spend time with the Lord. When you seek him, you will find him. But if you don't seek him, then he'll forsake you. You see, the thing is God draws near to him who draws near to him. James 4, to those who draw near to him. Draw near to God and he will draw nigh unto you. Draw near to God. We've all got to ask ourselves then, therefore, do I want a closer walk with the Lord? It's good desire to have in your heart the church. We'd love to see the church having a closer walk with God. Well, that will come when you have a closer walk with God. Draw near to God, he will draw near unto you. God wants to be with us. We need this sacred place. We need it to receive edification. You know, we can build up our spiritual uh, nourishment in our lives. Matthew 4 and 4 tells us man cannot thrive on physical food alone. It tells us we need spiritual food that nourishes the soul. And it tells us that spiritual growth, as we've seen last week, comes from the word of God. 1 Peter 1 and 23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. It tells us that we are born again through the incorruptible seed and we continue to grow by the word of God. And it's good that you're here this morning listening to the word of God. It's good that you be here this evening listening to the word of God. It's good that you come out midweek as someone shares again from the word of God, but you need to be reading it, church. You need to read the word of God. People have this thought that the Lord just automatically puts verses in your head. He doesn't. You read the word of God and God will bring them to your remembrance. You read the word of God and God will bring them to your remembrance. He'll give you a word in season from his word, but you need to be in his word that he might do that. God gives us spiritual strength. Ephesians 6 and 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of of his might. When we spend time with God and we're anxious about something, we're afraid of something, 
when we genuinely spend time with God, God will help us to fight our spiritual battles. We'll begin to realize as we read his word, we'll begin to realize like the psalmist as we look back in life, how God's hand has kept us, has strengthened us, has seen us through many spiritual battles. The same God who did that yesterday, we will realize we'll do it today, we'll do it tomorrow. God will provide such help. God will see us through. We might be in our secret place praying, God, take this from me. I can't bear it. We'd be like Moses. This is too much for me, Lord. But you know something? God intervenes in time. He's never late. And he always gives us strength for times of spiritual battle. Gives us the courage that this thing that I want taken away, I'm going to face it in the morning because God is with me. This mountain that God may not remove, he'll help me climb it. This mountain that God won't take away, he'll, well, he'll help me go around it. But God will see me through. And if you and I want a strong spiritual life, then we need to spend time with the Lord, both in prayer and in the study of his word. We do that, we'll find peace, we'll find stability. You know, the truth is today, church, we live in a world that's filled with anxiety and prayer provides the antidote. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 tells us, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Many times I hear that verse seven being quoted. The peace of God which passes all understanding will keep your heart and your mind through Jesus Christ. You need to add verse six. You can't just take one verse and think this is what's going to happen. You could be in the midst of trouble and not seeking God. You could be in the midst of trouble and refusing to listen to God. And someone will say, don't worry, the peace of God will keep your heart and your mind. Well, it says, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made not known unto God. There should be another word in there. Then the peace of God. Then the peace of God which passes all understanding. When we t spend time with the Lord, his peace will come. But if we don't spend time with the Lord, and we just expect him to bless us, then we won't have that peace. There's many pitfalls in this world, but God's word will keep us from falling and give us strength. That wonderful verse from Psalm 119, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In new church, like every Christian in the world, we all want that inner peace and that outer stability in our lives. And therefore, more than ever, we need to take time to draw near to God, to receive spiritual nourishment and to find peace and stability in our lives. And the habit of daily prayer, private prayer, will really strengthen us. We all know that little saying everybody says, seven prayerless days makes one week. And it really does. We need to spend time with God. We need to look at ourselves there's many books you can buy and go on the internet and you'll get all the advice of how to pray. But you know something? It's something, it's like a discipline, something you have to teach yourself. 
how to have these personal devotions with the Lord. Find a time, find a place. The time's going to vary for each and every one of us. There are people who are night owls, therefore the best time for them is late at night when the children are in bed. There's the morning skylarks, as they call them. You rise early in the morning before everyone wakes up, and that might be a better time for you. The key for each one of us is to find a quiet time, free from worldly distractions, free from any distractions. You know, at 10 to 6, you don't think, well, I'm going to run up the stairs, quick prayer for 10 minutes because the news is on at 6. That's not spending time with God. It's spending time. It's knowing that for the next half an hour, for the next hour, the next 20 minutes, I can go somewhere privately and I can pray to the Lord. As I say, it'll vary for everyone. But the thing is that you know what's best, your best time to be on your own with the Lord. Spending time with him. There's no particular place People pray in their bedrooms, people pray in their cars, people pray in their study, whatever suits you. The point is, it's you disciplining yourself to spend time with the Lord. Mark 1 and 35 tells us, in the morning rising up with a a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there he prayed. Some prefer praying praying inside, sorry. Again, the teaching of Jesus, we read it earlier. Enter thy closet when thou hast shut thy door, pray, and the Father will hear you. Find somewhere away from uh, any distractions. Develop a habit in your life. The time, place should be, well, some recommend the same each day, just when you can. Not every day you can do the same thing. But make sure that you pick out a time when you can be on your own with God. And then when you are on your own with God, engage in prayer. Engage in looking at God's word. And most of all, engage in praising the Lord. Thank him for his blessings which he pours upon us each and every day. Thank him for everything he's done. That's the best way to start your prayers. Another thing you really need to do is to confess your sin. First John 1 and 9 tells us he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And we kind of think, well, I haven't sinned, I haven't stolen any money, I haven't done that, I haven't done that. Do you know something? Pride, gossip, saying something about someone, saying something you shouldn't say. We've all sinned, folks. And the first thing we should do is thank him and then confess our sins before the Lord. Even the sins we don't know we've done and our ignorance. Just thank him for his forgiveness and he is faithful and just to forgive us. And then we've got to make supplication for our needs. Again, Philippians 4 and 6. Careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. That's important, your requests. People think it's wrong to pray for yourself. It's not wrong to pray for yourself. You need strength, you're human. You need God's guidance. You need God's help. You need God's patience. Pray for yourself. There's nothing wrong with it. But also pray for others. 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. I exhort you therefore, that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, 
for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. We need to intercede for others. There's people need our prayers. There's people need us to bring them before the Lord. We had a family funeral there during the week. And just looking around at everyone and thinking they need prayer because they're nowhere near God. And you can see there's no peace. You see things every day. You see people here are ill. We need to bring them before the Lord. We see a world that is corrupt. We live in a world filled with sin. And there's much in that world that could fill our lives with stress and anxiety. When we look at how they're trying to corrupt the minds of the young people today, it can cause you stress and anxiety when you think about your children, your grandchildren, and generations to come should the Lord tarry. But these things would try and draw you away from God and make you think, well, things are going to get worse. Church, I'm a great believer that prayer can turn a nation. God can turn a nation. Jonah walked into Nineveh. What did they do? They repented in sackcloth and ashes. One of the largest cities, metropolis of the day. Jonah went in fearing, but went in speaking. And they indeed repented of their sins. Don't let anything pull you away from God. Again, make, prayer, or make room for a prayer in your life. Walk closer with God and God will walk closer with you. Receive strength in your heart. Receive God's peace in your mind and do his will. And, and, and get a determination in your heart to seek the Lord for a mighty move of God. Church, we want to see people healed. We want to see lives changed. Not so that we can boast about what's going on in our assembly, but that lives are being set free. That broken hearts are being restored. And the question is, are you saying to God, Lord, I want the revival. And the Lord is saying, well, why are you not in the sacred place? It's a genuine call in your heart to see a move of God, not just in this church, but in every church in this land, throughout the Isles of the Sea. Is that desire there? Well, then you need to show God it's there. Because church, men are just gonna make things worse. We need as a nation to humble ourselves before the Lord in fasting and in prayer. Praying for our church, for our land, for those in authority, praying for a Holy Ghost revival. And don't forget, that revival starts in you. Any revival, it started in a small room with a prayer group. But what were they doing? They were fasting and praying. They didn't decide on a Sunday morning, you know what, we'll meet tomorrow night, seven o'clock for prayer, and the Holy Ghost came. They spent time. They spent time seeking the face of the Lord, praying that God would move. Just reading a testimony of a Chinese pastor. He was in jail for two years, and for two years his family fasted and prayed. But he was miraculously released after two years. Why? They didn't give up. 
And talk about a miraculous uh, release from prison. It was something like Peter. Doors being opened that shouldn't have been left open. Guards watching him walk past them and didn't even see him. Why? Because there was a desire, such a desire that they humbled themselves before God. They fasted and they prayed and they seen a move of God in answer to their prayers. Church, I wanna see this church filled just like you do, but I want it filled with people who have repented, who genuinely came to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can stick envelopes under the seats with prizes in them to attract people here. But you know something? Unless the Holy Ghost touches their heart, we'll see them for a week or two and that'll be the last we'll see them. But if we get people here, if together we come together, we pray together, we fast together, we seek the face of the Lord together, we won't have to have special events. We'll also have to have two services because people will come because the convicting power of the Holy Ghost has come upon them. I'm not speaking against special events, by the way. Don't quote me wrong. We need the Holy Ghost. That's what I'm saying to change men's lives. Let's stand in his presence.